Campbell McDermott is a reporter on the foreign desk at The National. He just returned from a week-long trip to the Rohingya refugee camps in Bangladesh, where he witnessed the dire situation himself. He joined us in the studio. So you've just come back from Bangladesh, where you visited Cox's Bazaar's refugee camp. Tell us about your experience. Right, so the, the refugee camp outside Cox's Bazaar is the largest refugee settlement in the world. Um, and most of the people who live there are Rohingya refugees who came in a three-month period um, starting from August 25th last year. So that was, I think, the IOM, the International Office of Migration, called that the the, the fastest uh, exodus in history. It was, it was totally unprecedented. And what they arrived to was basically uh, jungle and they had to carve out places in this hilly terrain to build huts out of bamboo and tarpaulins while um, NGOs, the UN and Bangladeshi authorities struggled to provide services for them. And that's where they are a year on. Um, the camps have got a little bit more developed. Um, they still suffer from very poor drainage. It's monsoon season at the moment, so every time it rains, the hillsides are subsiding, huts are collapsing, rivers, low-lying areas are flooding, um, so there's a very large health risk associated with that. Um, and it's pretty unsustainable living situation for this um, huge number of Rohingya refugees who are living there. I think it's around 900,000 are there and about 720,000 of those arrived, as I said, you know, in a three-month period last year. I mean, I'm sure you've met a lot of the uh, Rohingya refugees when you were there. Can you tell us a few stories? A lot of the refugees have actually had incredibly traumatic experiences. Um, so these people fled their homes, their villages in Rakhine State due to a, a coordinated campaign by the Myanmar military, which has been described as um, ethnic cleansing by the UN, um, the US, um, other like rights watchdog organizations have said it may have even amounted to an attempted genocide. But basically, the, the, the Myanmar government has long said that these are illegal migrants who have no place in, in Myanmar society. And what happened last year was that the military um, went across the state, village by village, um, driving people out, um, burning the entire villages, um, Thousands were killed, about at least 6,700 are estimated to have been killed by the military. This is, includes women and children. Um, there was a, a campaign of, of rape um, of women by the military. Kids were killed. You know, there are just horrific stories. You know, you hear stories of babies being thrown alive onto fires um, so you can imagine that you know this is a very traumatized population and I was just shocked by how many of the people in the camp had stories like this. You know, parts of the camp you go to, they'll say, you know, you won't find anyone around here who hasn't lost an immediate member of their family. And people I interviewed had lost their entire families. I spoke to people who were the only surviving members of their immediate family and so they've 
you know, being forced to, to live in these terrible conditions for a year, but also with this knowledge that, you know, their families were murdered by members of the Myanmar military and, you know, they've been there for a year and they're asking what's happening, what's what's the international community's reaction to this, you know, when will we get justice, when will the international community help us to be able to return to our homes where we grew up, where our grandparents grew up, and where we want our children to grow up, not as second-class citizens, but as human beings with human rights and protections. You know, they want to be able to sleep in their homes um, without worrying about, you know, the military coming to knock on the door or detain them or burn their villages. Going back to the to the international community um, issue that you've just mentioned, what does the community need to do more of to help ease this crisis? So while I was there, I also met with um, Bangladesh government officials. Um, and Bangladesh has been quite welcoming of these refugees. Um, you know, it's, it's already the most densely populated country in the world. It's a developing nation, and they've been forced to host this population of nearly a million refugees. So they're, they're very eager for um, the, the Rohingya to return home, and they've been engaged in bilateral discussions with Myanmar about repatriation, the UN has been involved in discussions with Myanmar about repatriation. These talks are ongoing. What what the Bangladesh officials said to me, though, is that the Myanmar government has been dragging the chain, has been deliberately, um, you know, slowing the process, and. What these officials I spoke to suggested to me is that they they fear that the only thing the the Myanmar government would respond to in this situation is international pressure. Um, but the, the problem with that is that you know the UN Security Council is unable to pass resolutions on this because China and Russia have have opposed it. Um, and then there hasn't been, you know, too much in the way of individual states putting pressure. What we saw last week was that the U.S. announced some targeted sanctions against members of the Myanmar military, um, which they identified as having been responsible for parts of of this ethnic cleansing campaign. Um, but you're not you're not seeing really broad pressure being placed on Myanmar to take them back, and you're seeing kind of not a lot of the stick, a little bit of carrot. You've, you, there's been uh, last month an announcement that the World Bank was prepared to loan $100 million to Myanmar for development in Rakhine State. But as, as far as what I've seen, that hasn't included, you know, any kind of uh, guarantees attached to that, you know, any conditions. Um, so I, I haven't seen anything that's really suggested that, you know, aid or or any kind of benefit to Myanmar would need to be contingent on making some progress on on this um, situation. Right, and you know, continuing on from your point, looking forward uh, into the next few years, what's next for Myanmar's Rohingyas? I mean, can they? Would you say can they return safely to their country? Are they hopeful of that? 
So, I mean, the situation they're living in now is is very unsustainable. It's basically the problem with the camp where they're living is it's too too many people in too small a place. Um, and, you know, it, it's really not suitable. It's too hilly. It's not well-drained. But basically, it's too crowded. That, you know, there's too many people there. But, you know, Bangladesh rightly says, well, you know, we, we don't have any other space. We're the most densely populated country on earth. Um, so they certainly want to go home. And, you know, they're saying this isn't our home. This is a refugee camp. We don't want to be refugees. We want to live in our home that we grow up in, our motherland, but, you know, where our ancestors are buried. Um, but they're also saying, you know, this isn't the first time that the Rohingya have, you know, been subjected to persecution by the Myanmar government. You know, there have been you know, previous waves of, of refugees coming into Bangladesh since the 90s. And, and some of the people I spoke to you know, said this isn't the first time they've had to flee their homes um, because of you know, communal violence and, and persecution. So now what they're saying is you know, we don't want to go back unless we get some guarantees. And, and they want citizenship rights in Rohingya. They want in Bangladesh, and they want their the name Rohingya recognized. So they want to be a recognized ethnic group in in Myanmar, and and more than that, more than having citizenship rights and and um, to be recognized as an ethnic group in Myanmar, that they want guarantees of their protection. You know, they they say this has happened to us before. We want to go home, but we also want guarantees that when we go home, we're not going to be subjected to this again. Um, and so, you know, ideally, that you know, they're talking about something like a UN peacekeeping force, and you know that that's not something that's been, you know, put on the table by anyone. Um, so it, it's not looking like they'll go home quickly. And you know, despite what the Bangladesh government says about wanting them to return home as soon as possible, I don't think any of you know the the NGOs providing support in the the camp they they don't expect to be going home soon. Um, you know, the Bangladesh government is very sensitive about talking about sort of medium-term, long-term planning in the camps. They don't want this to become a permanent problem. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, NGOs have to plan for the future and, you know, they're thinking they're going to be there for a while. 